All right. Hello and welcome to Around the Horns, the show where we are talking about the University of Texas baseball team. My name is Aaron. I am your host. I am here as always with my co-host who is back from Miami. It is Zach. Zach, how was your time in the great state of Florida in Coral Gables? Well, you know, we had a little rain delay. Um, wasn't two hours. So that was or uh, it was only around two hours. It wasn't seven like last year. So, yeah, it was good times. Uh, Texas won. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Talking about that today. <laughs> I say overall with the rain delay stuff, this is easy for me to say as someone who is just enjoying all the games from my couch as, you know, you were there. But I don't know, like, if you think about the possible outcomes of a Coral Gables regional, I, I feel like it probably it could have been way worse, like, from the rain delay. I don't know if you have the same feeling. You were there. Yeah, like people kept sending me pictures and they're like, hey, the weather radar looks like just one giant cloud of rain and whatever else. And I was like, yeah, but the rain clouds like kept coming in from the west. Yeah. It would hit the edge of Miami and just right around us. And so it always looked like at any moment we were, you know, going to get flooded and die. Uh, but, you know, we they pulled it off. And it was kind of funny, though, because in the middle of I think it was the second inning against Miami on Saturday. Um you know, we all get this alert on our phones and I was like, oh, weather advisory. It's like, hey, this area is flash flood watching could flood for the next like 16 hours or something silly. It's like, what? Where is this place? And look, type it up. It's probably nowhere near. Oh, it's literally like 15 yeah. minutes down the road. And I was like, okay, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so yeah. I, it, it probably could have been worse. They, they were able to get the games in. Baton Rouge ended up being the worst of the weather um, regionals. But yeah, I mean, today we are going to talk about, of course, Texas winning the regional in Coral Gables. Um, we're going to be talking about all the regionals. There was a lot of great action over the weekend. Of course, we will be previewing the Super Regional Texas, headed to Stanford. Very excited about that. We've got all kinds of stuff to talk about today. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Pine House Brewing. Talked about this promotion last week. It is still ongoing. If you go over to the Pine House Brewing restaurant over on East Bend White Boulevard and you order a Texas Wagyu Smash Burger, you can save $3 on that burger um, by showing a coupon from orangebloods.com. We had a bunch of threads this weekend. If you pull up any of those baseball threads, you'll be able to show the coupon, prove that you are an Orange Bloods member, and then you can get $3 off your Texas Wagyu Smash Burger. So I go ahead and take advantage of that great deal over at Pine House Brewing. Zach said they did it. They went on the road. Texas went on the road. They got the job done. We said if they're going to do this thing, it probably needs to be a 3-0 sweep. It probably needs to be because Lucas Gordon is awesome in game one. LeBaron Johnson is awesome in game two. And they did it. I mean, they were just able to come through on every single thing that needed to happen. That was my like biggest takeaway. It's like, it's easy for us to like sit on the podcast and talk about, okay, if this, this, and this, and this all go right, Texas can probably win this. But for them to actually go out and do all of those things, that is a completely different story. And they actually went out and did like, we took, they needed to take the lead early. They took the lead early. You know, Lucas Gordon and LBJ had to be awesome. They were unbelievable. Like, they had to get clutch hits. They got clutch hits. Like, everything that they had to do, they actually executed on, which was, like, the first thing that stood out to me. But um, I'll let you, you know, get started with your overall takeaways. And if you want to get into the details of that uh, opener against Louisiana, that's probably a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, from the opener, it, you could sense the nerves, right? Like, it was it was a little palpable. Like. You could tell they were playing a little tight. Um, 
you know, the weather certainly, as we talked about, did not help, right? Like the, the rain delays, getting ready for them. Oh, hey, by the way, we're going to go sit in the weight room for an hour and have a milkshake. Um, but, you know, they came out and and Lucas Gordon looked like Lucas Gordon. He was ready. He was rocking. Um, and then, you know, David Pierce always talks about complimentary baseball. If we pitch well, we trust our defense, the offense will come, you know, Truth say, you're like, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. The the pitcher from Louisiana Lafayette did a really good job of keeping the horns off the board um, until Mitch Daly, of all people, came through in the clutch and, you know, hit a solo bomb. And it's it was like suddenly a light switch. And it was like, OK, guys, we can play like we're we're good. Let's let's go do the damn thing. And uh, yeah, they 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 ran it off. And so that was in the sixth inning. And, um, you know the EK moment of robbing a three run home run in center field. Everyone was like, Oh, that ball's hit. Well, Oh, it's still carrying. It's still carrying. That's not, Oh, it's still going. Oh, there's no way he's going to get it. And then he just kind of, you know, not even like, even in his own words, it was not a tough play. He just kind of leaped up a little bit and got it. And so that was really a, a flipping the switch moment of, Hey guys, we've got the pitching, we've got the defense and we have the home run to get us going. And it was, kind of to the races after that point, even though they didn't score a bunch, it was, you, you could feel the momentum. A hundred percent. I mean, that play, that was huge because it was early in the game. And like you said, the bats hadn't figured it out yet. They were still kind of cold from Arlington. They were settling into the regional, you know, they're, you're on the road in Coral Gables. You haven't been there before. The bats were still settling in the Louisiana pitchers. They were doing pretty well. If that ball goes over the fence, a two run, a two out Homer, three run shot, and Texas is behind 3-0, then the offense gets even tighter. The pressure amps up even more. EK making that play, that was absolutely huge. I mean, any normal game, any normal um, defense, that's like the most impressive play by far. Um, unfortunately, uh, EK has a guy out there in the outfield with him to where while EK's uh, play was the most important play of the game, it was not the most impressive because Dylan Campbell in the sixth inning Zach, I mean, that was, that's the best catch of the year. Um, probably, I don't remember a better play in the last two years since I've been covering the game, watching, covering the team, watching every single pitch. DC, the ball is lined out to him in right field. He takes off on a sprint. And, like, this was not just, like, he made a diving catch. He went up in the air, like, high off the ground, full extension. Like, he could not have been reaching any further. And uh, he snags it, comes down on the ground. It was it was an incredible play, but I just thought that was hilarious. It was like, oh, Eric Kennedy, like five years, and just makes this incredibly clutch, amazing play. And <laughs> Dylan Campbell just makes a way cooler play, like almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was funny because after the game, post game availability, it's Lucas, it's DC, and it's EK, and yeah. it's like, hey, take us take us through that, right? And EK was like, hey, it wasn't a very hard play. I just kind of reached up and got it. And DC is like, yeah, I took a little bit of a bad read or a slow read off the bat. He goes, I didn't think I was going to get to it. So I just hauled ass and was like, hauling ass. That is DC's new nickname because he did. I, we were all watching the press box. And we're like, oh, that's, oh my, oh no. Like it was, it was a tip of the hat from everyone in the fan. Even the Raging Cajuns were like, yeah, that's just round of applause. Good job. You, you did it. You did the damn thing. And so, um, yeah, that was impressive. And then I, I think to me, outside of the, defense was going back to the pitching right what lucas was able to do and then the man of the hour in some aspects is it's got to be zane morehouse he came in and 
what he had two innings that he pitched and, and he really, you know, he gave up one run, but he, he shut him down. So. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about Morehouse a little bit more when we get to the the Sunday game where they clinched it. But yeah, I mean, Gordon, he was awesome. Um, we talked about it. It's always about that inside fastball. He was, he was using the fastball in pretty much all four quadrants was something I noticed. Like he was making an effort to go inside outside, but he was also making an effort to go to the knees and go up in the zone when he needed to. So he really had the fastball working in all four quadrants there. Yeah. Changeup was really good. You know, seven innings, five hits, one run, eight strikeouts. It was good to see the strikeouts come back. Only 83 pitches, which is a good thing going into um, this weekend because, you know, this is a time of year where pitchers can get a little bit worn down. So it was good to see him throw 83 pitches. They mentioned cramps for him after the game. He, Lucas Gordon has kind of been dealing with cramps for a little bit now. Like we've noticed this with his outings here or there. Sometimes his legs start to get a little bit tight. Yeah. Did you get the sense that like, he had to come out of the game because of the cramps because like yeah. I feel like it was something he probably could have stayed in but I think they wanted to go to Zane Morehouse anyway because it was the top of the order for the fourth time yeah it was the fourth time through the rotation coach Pierce said look we, we want to get him out there we want to we don't want to wear on him too much in game one just in case you know you don't know what happens right yeah um but they said look we felt really comfortable where where we were at we were bringing Zane in, in a, a clean inning so it wasn't like we were bringing him in a high leverage situation exactly. yeah and uh, we, you know, we asked Lucas, we said, how were you feeling? Like, did you want to go out there more? And he was like, oh, I could have gone there the entire way. Like it was, oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. it was a very Lucas answer, but yeah, I think Lucas understood at the same time, you know, and, and coach Deggs from Louisiana Lafayette commented on, he's like, look, this is not, this is not a warm place. This is not a steam bath. This is a sauna. He was like, the first thing that goes is your legs. And he goes, when the legs go, your control is going to be off completely. And um, I, I just feel like it was a really good transition and Pierce didn't want to, you know, push Lucas way too much in case he did need him on a Monday as an example. Yeah, no, it worked out really well. Um, of course that moved Texas into the winner's bracket where, uh, they, they got the showdown against the home team, Miami. Zach, this was the matchup we were expecting. We thought it'd be a good one. We were excited to see some of the power hitters in this Miami lineup go up against LeBaron Johnson Jr., and uh, I mean, this was just an all-time pitching performance at the University of Texas, and uh, and it was LBJ. It was LBJ's day. Zach, nine innings pitched, seven hits, uh, one run, three walks, eight strikeouts, 129 pitches, a complete game, one run. Uh, it was incredible. I mean, they had him on the ropes in the first and the second inning. Miami had the bases loaded in the first inning. Um, there was a 2-0 fastball to Levinson that was piped right down the middle, bases loaded one out, and he popped it up in the infield. And, Zach, when I tell you, like, that guy's going to be thinking about that pitch for a long time because that is the pitch you want in that 2-0 count in that spot. And he just popped it up, and from there it was like, oh, my gosh, LBJ's going to get away with this. And then he got away with it in the second inning when he left the bases loaded. And then uh, the pitch count was elevated. You were thinking, okay, this would be great to somehow get five or six out of LBJ with this pitch count. He goes nine. It was it was unbelievable stuff, just like the competitiveness and the heart and the grit and just the, the amazing slider um, that he had all night. It was just it was an all time performance. Zach. You've been watching Texas baseball for a long time. Um, nine innings in a regional that that doesn't happen uh, every single year. Yeah. Um, when LBJ came out, he walked the leadoff guy. Yep. Not very competitive at bat. Um, then he gives up a single. I'm sorry, he he got a ground out from the uh, second hole hitter, Villegas. Um, then Morales comes up, and Morales is, you know, the big name at Miami. He ends up hitting a single to a shortstop, which there was just, there was nothing Daly could have done with that one. Um, 
then he walks another guy and you're thinking oh man this is this is going to get bad real ugly bases loaded one out you mentioned it zach levinson he absolutely crushed that sky high fly ball like we were like oh my goodness comes down foul wow okay good thomas makes the catch um and that was on a 2-0 um 2 count so it was, it was really a really fastball right down the middle he was a centimeter away from hitting a grand slam it was oh. and so you know you think back to all the moments all the big pitches over the you know the past year and you're thinking wow okay two outs bases loaded first inning miami's you know seeing stars they're thinking this is it you know he's on 24 pitches or so and he just goes strike uh ball fouled one off another ball and then just big swing and miss and you're like holy moly how did he come out of this right so you're thinking okay he's at 24 26 pitches after the first inning texas comes back and you're thinking all right what is what are we going to do here well it's already two nothing o'dowd homers and now it's three nothing and you're like wow texas what's going on here what does miami do Starts off with a single. Then he reaches on a fielder's choice. Then he gets a strikeout swing, and you're like, okay, he's, he's okay. He's going to be able to keep that pitch down. Nope. He walks Kafis, the leadoff guy, again, and then he gives up another single. And you're like, oh, Lord. Who's up to bat? Morales. Bases loaded, two outs, and Morales yeah. comes up. First pitch. Well, I don't know what Morales – he probably regrets that bat for a very long time, but first pitch just pops it up. It's like, wow, okay, you're at 41 pitches, and, you know, this guy is not long for the game. We're going to see bullpen early. This could get really ugly. Maybe, you know, it's going to be a big offensive game. He just bears down. He doesn't walk another guy the rest of the game. <laughs> so, I mean, which is just impressive. Um, I was trying to think about impressive outings in postgame. 2014 was the last time during a regional. Chad's Hollingsworth went a full game in a regional. That's the last time. It's incredible. Um, it, it's just crazy. You know, we, everyone wants to complain about the pitch count. You know, yes, it was high, but like Pierce talked about, like he felt good. He felt loose. He wanted the ball. And, and that's what Pierce relies on. You know, they didn't talk to him the entire game pretty much. They were just letting him be. Um, and, and Pierce has a point, right? Like he's built up over the season. It's not like he's been a hundred pitches every single game. This is a guy that really didn't have a high workload at the beginning and, has been kind of eased into it. And so he's kind of hitting peak form right now without being well overused. So yeah, just absolutely amazing. Um, the thing that really got me and that everyone had ooing and awing is I think it was seventh or eighth inning. LBJ got a strike out of Yo-Yo Morales on an 87 mile an hour slider where Morales went down to the knee. I mean, he completely just buckled him and everyone was like, just, just write the MLB check right now. Like all the scouts were like, okay, yep, LBJ. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, he, he made himself a lot of money with that. Sorry, that was awesome to see. Um, yeah, with the pitch count stuff, you know, the first two innings were really stressful, but innings like three through seven, pretty low stress, easy innings, not that bad on the arm for LBJ. So, I don't know. I mean, if he felt good and wanted to stay out there, uh, I have no issue with that. I don't think anyone should, but. Um, Zach, we said the key against Miami is going to be getting on the board early, so they were not able to go to Andrew Walters with the lead. Dylan Campbell, he was the guy to take care of it. No one should be surprised that uh, he extended. I mean, we'll just get out. I mean, he, he got a hit in all three games, so his hitting streak is now up to 38 games. 
put in on Saturday's game. Two-run homer over the scoreboard, absolutely launched in the first inning, set the tone, gave Texas the lead, checked all the boxes you were looking for. I mean, Zach, it was just – at that point, I was like, this. they need to stop calling this the Coral Gables Regional. This is the Dylan Campbell Regional. I mean, he is taking over in the field. He's taking over at the plate. Um, that was an absolutely huge swing. Um, of course, we had the Garrett Gilmet saga. He really scary play. He, he took a fastball uh, almost to the face. It caught the flap of the helmet. Thank goodness, but it, it hit the flap of the helmet. It probably still got him a little bit in the face. He definitely felt it. He goes down. Uh, he's not really moving at first. He, he ends up, you know, being okay. He gets up. He's very angry. <laughs> he's not happy that the pitcher just smoked him in the head with the fastball, um, which is uh, pretty reasonable. He goes down at first, they take him out of the game um, because the umpires are allowed to remove the guy for a little concussion check. And then he's actually allowed to come back in the game, which was cool to see. He came back in. He was good. He got two hits because, of course, he did afterwards. um, So that was good to see. But, yeah, I mean, the Texas offense came through and then just it was it was LeBaron Johnson Jr., man. There's uh, that that was what they had to do. And then I mean, because Miami, like the offense didn't add that many more runs because they went to Schlesinger out of the bullpen. He came out of the pin, went seven scoreless with nine strikeouts in relief, which was very concerning. But, uh, I mean, it just didn't matter with LBJ, man. He gave up one run, and uh, that was that was going to be it. Yeah, and, you know, Miami coach talked about it, and he said, hey, look, Car- Carson's been one of those guys that's been massive for us all year long. He's been out the last month or so with injury. We've been trying to work him back. He's like, he didn't have his fastball. He kept elevating it, leaving it over the middle, and you saw that. You know, Jared Thomas lead it, led off with a double. And he, you know, Texas, when they made contact against Carson, they were making contact. Um, but Schlesinger, the lefty, they just, they really couldn't get in a groove. He mixed his pitches really well. He was mixing in and out really well. And, um, you know, even against guys like Porter Brown and, and Peyton Powell, um, who have had success against lefties throughout the year, they just, you know, really couldn't get on top of them. But yeah, I mean, in all, it was a really, it was a really fun game to watch because you had two pitchers that were just, dueling it out you know going inning for inning and and really just seeing something really cool so yeah I mean it was a great game huge win for Texas uh that moved them to 2-0 uh that's that's the catbird seat 2-0 is where you want to be in these regionals especially uh if you're lacking a little bit of pitching depth but uh Zach Miami took care of business against Louisiana setting up the rematch for Sunday um Miami had to beat Texas twice uh, that didn't happen Texas took care of business on Sunday to go in 3-0 and sweep the regional Tanner Witt, he didn't have it. Um, first inning, he was fine. Second inning, he lost command. Uh, back-to-back hit-by-pitches and a three-run homer. I want to circle back to Tanner Witt maybe when we talk about Stanford and preview that. But, um, Zach, it was the first time – I mean, it wasn't the first time, but it was it was rare to see Texas trailing this weekend. But they were trailing 3 nothing in that Sunday in that Sunday game against Miami. But uh, just a few innings later, the Texas offense, man, it was the it was the inning that sent them to the Super Regionals ultimately. Nine runs – uh, in the third inning, uh, Miami went through a couple pitchers. Jalen Flores delivered the grand slam. It was it was crazy because the inning started. Flores was the leadoff hitter, and he got rung up on a on a very bad um, strike three call that was very far outside. Not a strike; it was a good take. And uh, you know the rest of the offense takes off from there. O'Dowd had a really good at bat. Mitch Daly had a really good at bat. Um, you know Jared Thomas drives in some runs. Gilmet drives in some runs. Powell drives in some runs. It comes back to Flores with only one out. He was the only out of the inning at the time. Yeah. And uh, he comes up with the bases loaded. First pitch, the guy tries to flip in a little first pitch curveball. I'm just going to steal a strike. This guy's not going to try to ambush me a uh, first pitch. And 
Flores, he sits back, he waits, he lifts it to dead center out of the park, grand slam. Um, at that moment, it seemed like Texas had it, and they did. Uh, that was really cool to see. Um, what was you, what was the reaction in the press box in the stadium, you know, when Texas put up a nine-run third inning, and then ultimately the Jalen Flores grand slam had to be a pretty deflating for the, the very few Miami fans that were in the building? Yeah, I mean, you talk about the fans, you know, you're facing a uh, regional final, right? And Miami's got to win to push it into Monday. Yep. Stadium holds just over 3,500. They said the attendance was like 23 to 2,500. And there was a, a decent sized contingent of uh, families and friends there from Texas. And um, when Miami got the 3-0 lead in the second, all, all the people were like, oh yeah, you know, this is, this is Miami. They're back. You know, we're, we got this no big deal. Texas doesn't have anything left. And it was like, I, it was just like a, like a drive into madness in that inning because Flores strikes out on a just terrible call on a pitch out way outside. And Miami fans were like doing their left, right, left, right, sit down chant. And then all of a sudden it was the parade of hits. They had six hits in a row, five of them before uh, Miami went to the pin. And then Miami goes to the pin to bring in, La Cuerca, who's been really, really good for them. And it's just like the hit parade continues. He, Gilmet gets another hit, Brown walks, Kennedy walks, and you're like, wow, Flores is back. Yeah. And when Flores hit the ball, it didn't look like a no-doubter. It didn't sound like a no-doubter. It was one of those ones that you knew it's like after the fact, you should have known it was good because it was, it had that thud. It had the silent thud. Um, but when it was headed towards straight center, it was like, oh man, you hit it to the deepest part of the park. And then you saw the left or the center fielder kept going back and back. And you're like, oh, oh, this has a shot. Um, because out of, right off the bat, the Miami announcer, the radio announcers who were sitting next to me were like, oh, this has no chance. This has no chance. And then, you know, it leaves it. And you could have just put a drop of a needle and you would have heard that place was dead silent. Um it was like the fourth or fifth inning, like one or two innings later, they started passing around the ballots for the all tournament team because like they thought they had no shot. Like that team was so cooked at that point. They just, it was done for. So, yeah. Yeah. That that's about, that's what it felt like on TV. It just felt like the game was absolutely over. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is a good part to circle back to that clutch uh, homer by Mitchell Daly in game one. I just thought it was cool to see Daly come up with the big moment in game one to tie the game with the solo homer. And then, uh, you know, because that was kind of the swing that started the regional and got Texas on the right track. And then a couple of games later, it was Jalen Flores, the freshman, to kind of clinch it and kind of put it all to bed with the grand slam. And, you know, people have been talking about um, there was, you know, the whole Mitchell Daly versus Jalen Flores before the season. It was it was during the season. Uh, no one really knew how that was going to shake out. And then, uh, you know, with the injury to Carlson, that opened up a DH slot. So then naturally they moved Flores to DH and that put Mitch back at shortstop because he's a better defensive shortstop right now. So uh, it was just really cool to see, you know, those guys have obviously been competing and battling battling against each other for playing time. To see them both come through um, after some struggles this year. I mean, Daly, you know, Daly was benched and then he comes back, he's back in the starting lineup and comes through with that clutch homer. And then Flores, he was you know, the Prince who was promised, you know, this highly touted guy out of high school doesn't really have it early in the year. He finally starts to get some more playing time. 
And for, you know, Dana to hit the game tying home run in the first game and then Flores to put it to bed with the Grand Slam, I just thought that was like a really cool juxtaposition and a book in there to that regional um, and just to kind of what those guys have been going through um, the entire year. But uh, yeah, you can hit on that there. And then I definitely want to talk about Charlie Hurley because, I mean, with all that being said about all the hitters and everything, uh, my game ball would go to Charlie Hurley on Sunday. Yeah, you know, Chuck Nasty, he was, they had to go to the pin much earlier. Um, we talked to Pierce and Pierce said, look, we would like to get four. Maybe we get five out of Tanner Witt. You know, he, he was on a 65 pitch limit. Um, we did confirm that. And Tanner just didn't have the fastball. Everything was elevated. And, you know, of course it all sounds like, you know, ridiculous hindsight. But when I was watching Tanner warm up in the bullpen, he looked a little too amped. Like all of his fastballs were running up and in. They looked a little high. Um, and Pierce talked about it. He said, look, he got that guy on base. And regardless of his command, he he took his focus off of pitching and he kind of let the environment around him, you know, kind of get to him a little bit. Um, and, you know, he threw a pitch middle, middle and, and Dominic Patelli, who I got to talk to his dad after the game, actually a uh, really, really great guy. But, you know, he put a great bat on it. And so it you can't fault him. He just he was trying to pound the zone and try to get back into a groove and, you know, ran into a really good fastball. But, yeah, Chuck Nasty. Um, you know, talk about putting a team on your back and saying, look, bullpen, I got it right. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to go a ways and I'm going to give this team a shot to win. And he did, he, he was really good towards the end. I thought, you know, it was pretty obvious that he started to lose his command. His legs were out from underneath. Yeah, him. I guess a little bit. Yeah. I was a little surprised they left him in as long as they did, but you know, he kept getting outs. He kept getting out of jams. And so it was like, Hey, you got to do what you got to do here. Yeah, I mean, you to you put two guys on base ahead of Yo-Yo Morales. Uh, he's probably <laughs> going to make you pay, and uh, he did with a three-run homer, but the game was pretty much in hand at that point. But, yeah, I mean, to see Hurley come out of the bullpen, the thing I noticed almost immediately when he came in, he looked really confident. Like, he had some swagger to him. He looked like he knew he belonged out there, and he was pitching with a lot of confidence, and that pretty much carried throughout the outing. So, uh, you know, we talked about Texas being a little thin on pitching, you know, with the injuries to – to uh, David Shaw and the Heston Toll. And then of course, DJ Burks no longer with the team. We thought they were a little short on pitching, but uh, if you're going to get four and a third out of Charlie Hurley out of the bullpen, high quality innings, that's going to help quite a bit. And then uh, the other bullpen arm that uh, we definitely need to talk about, Zane Morehouse, he saves, uh, I don't know if they're both saves, but he locks down uh, two different games in this regional. He ends up going uh, four and two thirds total across the two games allowing one earned run, which is just a solo homer there Sunday in the finale. Um, he looks really good against Zach. I mean, it's just, you know, it's up and down with Zane Morales. We know that. But a couple of weeks ago, they made a slight adjustment with him. They lowered his arm slot just a little bit. Like, you really have to look to notice it. But it's helped him quite a bit. I think it's helped him a lot with his slider. He's been able to throw his slider in the zone a lot more since they lowered that arm slot just a little bit. Whatever tinker that is or, like, mental cue for him, it has helped him a lot with the field, just to be able to flip that pitch in for a strike and then be able to throw it out of the zone in the 0-2 count. So um, I think that was a really good adjustment. It's hard to make adjustments in the middle of a season. We've talked about this before. It is not easy to make mechanical adjustments in the middle of the season and then practice it and then take it to a game, and much less a high-pressure game in a, in a regional on the road against Miami. And he has been able to make that adjustment with his arm slot, and it has helped him quite a bit. I mean, Zach, he had seven strikeouts in two and two thirds innings, he struck out the first 
four batters that he faced on Sunday, all four on sliders. I mean, he, he really had a lot going all weekend and it's exciting, man. I called him the X factor uh, before the season started. That was going to kind of maybe determine the success of the pitching staff. And uh, it's been a lot of ups and downs, Zach, but here we are, you know, three or four months later, feels like Zayden Morehouse is the X factor again. Yeah. Pierce definitely touched upon the Mitch Daly stuff earlier in his post-game conference. And, it, and I asked him and he touched upon the Morehouse. He's like, look, this is a guy after the Baylor series where we didn't know what that looked like going forward. Right. I mean, he could have very well tucked it in and been done. Uh, he said that, you know, Pierce and Woody have spent a lot of time with Morehouse. They identified a bit of a hitch in his mechanics, a little yeah. abbreviation um, that they want, they've been working on since realistically the weekend after Baylor. And he said he started finally the last probably two weeks to put it all together and kind of be able to have that, command over the slider like you talked about because i think if you go back and look you know and he, he threw 2.2 innings on uh on sunday but when he came out he was throwing almost exclusively sliders he wasn't really going oh, to yeah. his fastball and oh, yeah. historically he's always been i'm gonna go to fastball and i'm gonna challenge you which he can he's got a 96 mile an hour fastball but he was using that that slider to such good effect and he was he was running in and out which was really really impressive and so yeah, I, you can't say enough about the guy that, he, you know, the mentality of keeping in, putting in the work and, yeah, changing mechanics midseason or even end of season is is damn near impossible. But to do it successfully and have that level of success at the end is, is really impressive. So, yeah, no, I mean, super impressive adjustment by Morehouse. Credit to him for sticking with it. I think this is also a good, you know, point to a good chance to kind of point out one of the, what, what I really think is the strength of David Pierce as a manager and something that I've really noticed about him basically since he's been at Texas and especially my last two years following the team, every, he, he really loves these like really talented pitchers. Like he, he always leans towards them. If you think of a guy like a Cole Quintanilla or a Jared Southern or a Zane Morehouse, all three of those guys, super electric stuff, right? I mean, if they come in and if they have it, they're going to be able to dominate really good teams. And that's what you need this time of year. You need to be able to dominate really good teams. And with all three of those guys, you know, you have Quintanilla, you have Southern, Morehouse, you can throw other guys into that category. At times, they're not throwing strikes and it can be frustrating because fans would be like, oh my gosh, just give me a guy that can go in there and throw strikes. Well, yes, that might be better for, you know, the random Saturday game against Kansas, you'd probably be better off just having someone in there throwing strikes. David Pierce, he does a really good job of always keeping the long-term in mind. And he knows some, like, he, he wants to win every single game, obviously, and he manages to win every single game. But at the same time, he knows, I need a Jared Southern to be really good by the end of the year. I need a Zane Morehouse to be really good at the end of the year. Because there's only so many guys I can rely on on the road against a really talented Miami team to realistically go in there and dominate. Cause you need a, there's a baseline of stuff that you have to have as a pitcher to be able to get Yo-Yo Morales and some of those other really good Miami hitters out. And, uh, you know, I just think it was, this is an important time to point that out because a lot of fans and people on the outside, they can be frustrated and be like, Oh, these guys, you know, David Pierce, he just wants these guys to throw 98 and they can't throw a strike and he just sticks with them. There's a reason he keeps rolling those guys out there and they keep working to get better because in these situations, this is when you need the really talented guys like the Morehouse. And I, I just, I, I feel like that was something that was really prevalent in my mind watching it being like, this is why David Pierce has a little bit of a longer leash 
with some of these super talented guys that uh, eventually he knows that he really needs them to come through. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, if you take a look at it, he's, he's definitely one of those managers that says, guys, like, I understand you're going to have struggles early on. I understand that we're going to live through some changes, but we're going to work and it's going to be a work in progress. And all that matters is that we get to the postseason and we can go on a run. Um, you know, it was kind of funny. We asked him after the game, we said, coach, you're 12 and 0 since 2017 when y'all last lost to Long Beach. What, what's the secret here? What, what's going on? You got some magic. He goes, no idea. If I knew, I'd tell you. He goes, I wish I could do this in the Big 12 tournament because we sure did suck there. <laughs> so, I mean, he's he's got that mentality of like, look, I don't care how we win. I don't care what it takes to win. We want to win. But it's it's all about, you know, putting in the work is what his guys say or what he says. You know, it's getting a little bit better so that at the end of the season, you are playing your best ball. And you see that from LBJ. You see that from Lucas, who's had his, you know, struggles a couple last couple games. Um, you know, they they showed up when the lights were on and it was, it was something else that was funny about Sunday is he didn't bring EK or DC or, you know, a Lucas Gordon type guy, that, he brought yeah. two freshmen to his, his post yeah. Like you think about all the work that these guys put in and he's like, Hey, like, this is our team. Like we're made up of a wide group of guys and, you know, it's not just going to be one person that wins games for us. We are going to do this as a collective. So that, that was really cool to see as well. Yeah. No, I mean, super impressive weekend overall. They were able to get it done. Um, all tournament team. Zach is a high profile media member. He's able to vote for these kind of things when he is at the event. Um, some notable Longhorns uh, pitcher, all tournament team, uh, LeBaron Johnson Jr. You might have, uh, might be able to figure out why that was the case. Uh, Jared Thomas at first base. The Dylan Campbell Regional, Dylan Campbell is the outfielder in the all-tournament team. Garrett Gilmet, uh, Jalen Flores, and then the MVP was LeBaron Johnson Jr. Zach, it was incredible all around. Um, we are on quite the pace here for this show, but that is fine. It's that time of the year. Um, this is just going to be a mega show. We got to talk about some of these other regionals. I don't know how much you were able to watch. You were in the press box for a lot of it. You were out um, in Miami. I don't know if you were at the clubs. Uh, I don't know what you were doing. But I was on my couch, and I watched ESPN Squeeze Play and the regionals all weekend. I did not take my eyes off it. I did not miss a pitch. I was locked into every single one of these regionals. Um, I want to fly through them all. I mean, we're, we're going to have to fly through them, just give a couple of thoughts on each one. I want to start in Winston-Salem, Wake Forest, Zach. They, they went 3-0. They swept through. They look legit. I mean, we've talked about the, the number one overall seed. Hasn't won the national title in a long time. They often have a tough time making it to Omaha. This number one, I mean, we say it every year, but man, this number one uh, overall seed Wake Forest team, they, they look pretty good. Yeah, uh, Louder in, his, in game two struck out 11 in six innings, and he really didn't look like he was being challenged at all. This Wake Forest team can hit, they can run. Uh, the, the one thing I'll have to add, though, is on their Friday night regional game, they said they sold out their their – complex for the first time for 30 like 3800 people i'm like you got 3800 seats and you can't sell out all throughout you're, you've been number one for a couple of weeks now what do you, what are your fans doing so yeah come Shock. on now, fans of winston-salem uh they're gonna be they're gonna be back there again they're gonna be hosting alabama because alabama was able to win their regional um zach they were i don't know if you saw this but i mean they were on the ropes i think it was in the two and oh game uh in the or in the one and oh game 
Troy had them beat. And then there was a routine ground ball to shortstop with two outs in the night. The guy just has to pick it up and throw it across the first base. And Troy wins. And uh, he throws it away. Alabama ends up winning the game. Troy's defense, it, it bit them in the ass multiple times throughout the weekend. If Troy had just an average defense, I, I think they would have won this regional, but they just could not stop uh, like shooting themselves in the foot. Um, but yeah, it, it was tough to see. Uh, Alabama was able to win, but they, they got a lot of the gifted to them from, from a shaky Troy defense was my takeaway. Yeah, Bama got a massive pitching performance from their uh, their left their six five lefty um, that really helped propel them. But yeah, I I feel like Bama kind of skated through um, a regional that they really shouldn't have come out of. If you look at how the gameplay really went on early, yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, Baton Rouge that was the worst weather. They didn't even uh, I think it was Saturday. They only played like four innings in the entire regional. Um, LSU goes three zero. They do advance. Um, they pitched Paul Skeens in game one against Tulane. Tulane entered the regional with 19 wins. That was a pretty controversial decision because you would think they're going to save Paul Skeens for like Oregon State in game two when they when they have some real competition. Um, you know, he shocker, he threw a complete game against uh, Tulane and they were able to win and beat Tulane. And then they were able to beat Oregon State twice without Paul Skeens. So it all worked out, but man, that was a crazy decision just to think like they were that worried about losing a 19-win Tulane at home with anyone besides schemes on the mound. Yeah. And it wasn't just a complete game, 124 pitches, complete game. You're like, what do you, what do you really, you don't have anyone else you could throw out. You're that worried. And I, I think it, it honestly speaks to how worried they are about their bullpen um, because they've struggled a lot. And I think they were just like, look, if he goes the complete game, we, yeah. we, we just saved, you know, six outs or we saved nine outs from our bullpen having to throw, but yeah, craziness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, their offense filled them out. Their offense was awesome all weekend. I mean, they had Dylan Cruz, uh, Gavin Dugas, pretty much everyone besides Tommy White was on fire. So uh, they're going to be taking on Kentucky. Kentucky won the Lexington regional. Zach, we kind of thought this might be a chaotic one. It absolutely was. There were a lot of really good games in Lexington. Kentucky is able to come out of the losers bracket. They beat Indiana twice. Indiana was my pick to win the regional. They were sitting there two and zero. I was feeling pretty sharp. Like, oh, did I just pick a three seed to win a regional? But uh, no, Kentucky is able to come back. I want to apologize. I called them RPI merchants. Um, they're actually pretty fun to watch. I enjoyed watching the Kentucky team. Um, you know, they hit balls in the gap. They just have like a fun vibe overall. The crowd was really, really good. Um, so I enjoyed watching the Kentucky team. I think that's going to be a really good series, take them taking on LSU um, at the box there. But uh, the other takeaway from this Lexington regional, man, West Virginia – they never recovered from that Texas series. They did not like it was it was horrible. Um they they did they win one game? Were they able to win the 0-2 game? They beat Ball but, State. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were able to eliminate Ball State, but then that was it. Uh, Kentucky knocked him out. Ben Hampton is now in the portal, I believe. Uh it was a tough couple of weeks for uh, West Virginia baseball. Yeah, I mean, in, in the the span of what two and a half weeks or three weeks, they went from being a potential a top, top eight, top eight seed. Yeah. To Goose, goose, playing two in the freshman dorm rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was something else. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that was a fun regional overall. Auburn, uh, no showed at home. Uh, them in Oklahoma State. We'll get to them in a second. But yeah, I mean, Southern Miss, uh, they can really swing it. They were able to. They were able to come through there. Um, yeah, I mean, that was pretty, the pretty much the takeaway there was this powerful Auburn offense. 
pretty much no showed at home and uh, they were not able to they were not able to advance at home in their own regional and the Southern Miss ends up advancing and then spoiler alert getting the bid to host the super regional. Yeah, the, the thing for me was how Southern Miss won. You know, they pitched Tanner Hall game one. He throws 123 pitches and they lose to Samford. Somehow they're able to come back all the way through the losers bracket in advance with Tanner Hall getting the start on Monday after having thrown 123 on Friday. He, he only goes two innings, but still, man, that, that was nuts. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they, they get to host a super regional against Tennessee and Hattiesburg. So talk about two completely opposite, opposite type of fan bases. That'll be, that'll be something to watch to see if that place just burns to the ground. Yeah, that will be an interesting one. Uh, speaking of places burning to the ground, Zach, the Clemson regional, the the one and zero game between Clemson and Tennessee was an absolute classic. It was an unbelievable game. Uh, the end of it ran into the LeBaron Johnson Jr. start, so I didn't really give it like all the attention that it deserved. But it was absolute chaos, Zach. I mean, Tennessee was down to its last strike, I believe, two outs in the ninth inning. Kid hits a three-run homer out of the entire stadium to give Tennessee a lead. Clemson comes back in the bottom of the ninth, down to their last strike. They tie the game, send it to extra ratings. At one point, it looked like Clemson had won the game on a wall on a on a double play ball. And they go to the monitor and they review it. And the Tennessee guy had beat out the ball barely. Tennessee ends up tying the game after getting some extra life. Um, like Chase Dolander, he was pretty good. Um, Caden Bryce was outstanding for Clemson on the mound. Tennessee goes to Chase Burns out of the bullpen. He throws like 100 pitches out of the bullpen, a lot of it being in extra innings. This was just like an all-time game between Clemson and Tennessee. Eventually, Tennessee is able to pull it out somehow with some runs in the ninth inning, and they were able to lock it down. Um, this, this was an all-time classic, Zach, and then Clemson was just not able to recover. I mean, that game went on forever. They had to wake up early the next morning and they got eliminated. Um, they got eliminated by Charlotte. I mean, there was just, there was no coming back from that one. And Tennessee is, uh, is on to the supers. Yeah. And the other thing to mention about the Clemson Tennessee game was their, uh, their all-star Camarella or Canarella yeah. Yeah. got ejected from the game for talking a little too much as he's coming in from center field. And um, yeah, you know, you go 14 innings late and then you got to bounce back the next morning. And it was kind of like Miami were like, look, you went late and, the game like late that you play that late plus you play extra innings you're cooked like there's very little chance that you're not winning two the next day yeah yeah just oh and two and um yeah clemson came in as one of the hottest teams in the nation and poof they're yes. gone yeah no i mean at one point um the texas miami game started when clemson and tennessee were entering the ninth inning and i was sitting there on my couch watching both games and I really thought for a second, this Texas-Miami game is going to end before the Clemson-Tennessee game. And it almost did. I think uh, the, the Texas or the Clemson game wrapped up when Texas was in the eighth. So it ended up being uh, pretty close. Um, Zach, let's go to Gainesville. Um, the 1-0 game, Texas Tech and Florida. Tech takes them down. Tech is in the driver's seat, 2-0. But uh, Florida got really good pitching all weekend. Um, you know, starters and the bullpen, they were all pretty good there. The Texas Tech got to the bullpen a little bit, but overall the Texas pit, the Florida pitching staff was really good. And then the bats came alive. I mean, Florida had to win twice against Texas Tech and the bats just kind of carried him. Um, Jack Taglione, he had three homers in the regional. He's at 30 now on the season. Uh, man, Florida can hit it. Um, they were on the ropes there, but uh, they were able to prevail and beat Texas Tech twice in a row. 
Yeah. Um, Mason Molina, the, the Texas tech pitching in the first two games was electric. They, you know, everyone talks about Texas tech and they're known for their hitting uh, tech pitches or pitching staff kept them in the first two games and won them and got them that two Oh, but um, you know, Gavin cash hits his 26 home run of the year. He hit, I think two in the first game against Florida and, uh, it was a really fun game to watch. I actually did get to watch quite a bit of that one. And uh, yeah, Florida came out with it on a mission, though, when they faced Texas Tech again, needing to beat them twice. And, and they did. They they finished them off, including, a, I think it was a 6-0 or 7-0 um, to end it. But yeah, Florida's, they're really good. You give them an inch and they're going to take a mile. So yeah, no, it was super impressive. Uh, another SEC team, South Carolina, really took care of business. I mean, when we talk about hosts that took care of business, um, it was Wake Forest, then it was South Carolina. I mean, they went 3-0. The bats just absolutely mashed. Um, they're setting up a matchup with Florida, which I think is going to be an awesome Super Regional. We'll talk about the Supers a little bit at the end, but uh, South Carolina, Florida, that, that is going to be a fun one. Yeah, so South Carolina's had a lot of injury issues at the end of the season, but I think they won 19-1 to in their first game. They just they came out on fire, and they didn't let up. They looked like the team that was beating Florida and sweeping them and beating LSU in the middle of the year. Yep. The, uh, the Conway regional where uh, coastal Carolina was the host. This one was chaos. This was a lot of fun. Um, Ryder, the four seed, they were really good all weekend. They were just playing really good baseball every single time they you thought they would be done. They would get out of a basis loaded jam or they would clump, they would come up with like a clutch two out double. Um, they were able to just hang around and, and really they pulled off an upset. Um, it was impressive stuff from Ryder. Um, Duke was kind of the best team throughout. Um, this was the regional where, you could really see the benefits of the 2-0 start because Duke was able to start 2-0 and then that forced Coastal Carolina to come through the loser's bracket. And Coastal did eventually force a game seven. But when it got to the game seven, Coastal was out of pitching. They, they didn't have a lot of pitching depth coming into the regional. Um, Duke did. And you could tell in that game seven, Duke just had way more quality arms and they they uh, they blew out um, Coastal in the winner take all the game there yesterday. Yeah, Duke's for me, Duke's bullpen was the the name of the game, right? They they just really limited the damage they faced all weekend long. It was really impressive from them. Um, and then the Charlottesville uh regional, you had Virginia, where I feel like nothing really crazy happened except for ECU absolutely battered Oklahoma. And I mean, it was just you're like, oh, I can't watch anymore because they're just they're making it ugly. Um but I think the most fun game that I saw was the 1-0 game between Virginia and ECU, East Carolina. It ended up being 3-2. Um, it was just a back and forth like slugfest. It was it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, that was pretty much the only entertaining game. It was tight, but still nothing really crazy happened. Uh, that was probably the least entertaining regional. But uh, Virginia looks good. Um, they're going to be fun to track the rest of the way. Nashville, this was probably the most surprising one for me. It was uh, pretty much a no-show from Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt coming in red hot, winning the SEC tournament. We'll talk about conference tournaments maybe uh, not mattering that much. Uh, <laughs> that was a takeaway from this weekend. But the, the really interesting thing, uh, um, Vanderbilt was on the ropes. Uh, they're in the ninth inning. They're down by one going into the ninth inning, final at bat, and going to a rain delay. Over two and a half hours, they're sitting in the clubhouse. Xavier knows they're three outs away from eliminating Vandy. Vandy knows if we can just come out of this rain delay and score one run, we're going to be back in it. This could be a great story. 2016 Chicago Cubs and Vanderbilt comes out of the rain delay, three up, three down. And that is it season over. That was a, that was pretty shocking to see Vandy. I go one and two at home. Yeah. The, the 
Vanderbilt coming out of the SEC tournament, you're like, oh, they figured it out. Pitching, hitting, it's all aligned. And I mean, just laid an absolute egg. And it's not like they got eliminated by some, you know, highly hot mid-major team that's been on a run. It's against Xavier, who if you would have bet me $100, I would have lost 10 out of 10 times. I would have never called that one coming. Um, and it wasn't even like it was a high-scoring game. They lost two to one. Just They had nothing going, either team. So it was it was crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, another host that uh, underwhelmed, that was Stillwater, Oklahoma State, um, 0-2. Very bad showing from Oklahoma State. They get uh, Oral Roberts, took it to them. Oral Roberts won the whole regional on a four seed. Moving on to the Supers, they played a lot better than a four seed. They were super impressive. Washington was pretty good. Um, Man, Oklahoma State, I mean, after what the Oklahoma State broadcast put us through, I was glad to see Oklahoma State be completely boat raced and embarrassed in their home park because of that broadcast was brutal, and then the team's play was brutal in the postseason once again. Um, man, that was a meltdown. I don't know if the bigger story was Oklahoma State just completely folding and, like, no-showing in their own regional, or Oral Roberts just looking flat-up dominant. I mean, Oral Roberts was down 7 nothing to Washington, yeah. and they just, like, immediately came back and, like, scored, like, 15 runs. Like, Oral Roberts looks like the real deal. Yeah, and this was one of those regionals where – you know, a lot of people had circled it like, man, Oral Roberts is a really good team. Washington beat them twice. Yeah. And Oral Roberts had beat Oklahoma State twice in the year on Tuesdays. And you're like, yeah, but it's a Tuesday, right? And it's really hard to beat a team three times. Not for Oral Roberts. They came out and absolutely just smacked Oklahoma State around. I mean, it was not a competitive game at all. It was, it was ugly. So yeah. And then that, you know, you see that Oral Roberts is down 7-0 to Washington. You're like, ah, okay, they're coming back down to earth. Everything's returning. No, they end up winning 15 to 10 or 15 to 11. It was just, it was a crazy, crazy regional. And, uh, you know, I got to listen to a little bit of Moreland call the game. And yeah, I, I think he secretly was pretty happy that uh, Oklahoma State was suffering a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we didn't even mention Oregon was the team that actually won that national regional. So now, Zach, we have Oregon hosting Royal Roberts. One of those teams is going to be in Omaha. That is a, that's going to be chaos. That'll be some fun. Uh, speaking of chaos, Terre Haute, where uh, Indiana State was the host. This was a really fun and super tight regional all weekend. All of these games were really close. Back and forth, North Carolina played really well. Iowa played really well. Wright State maybe should have won the opener against Indiana State. That was a back and forth game. Uh, the Indiana State, I mean, the story of the weekend was Indiana State was just like constantly on the ropes and they were just able to make the clutch play. They made the big pitch. They got out of the jam. They had the really big hit, and they just kept their composure in these really tight games because every game in this regional was tight, but ultimately uh, Indiana State, man, they were able to somehow get it done. Yeah, it, this was one of those regionals where everyone, I think, kind of had their eyes. Everyone's while they're like, oh, what's going on over there? Because, like you said, I think three of the four games that Indiana State played were all one-run games. It was always really tight. Um, and yeah, Wright State probably should have won that first game. It felt like they had it won and they let it loose. Um, but yeah, Indiana State, um, that's going to be an interesting one because of who they're going to end up matching up with. And they're going to be on the road, even though they're the higher seed. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that takes us to Fayetteville where, man, uh, TCU, maybe the one instance of the conference tournament um, does matter. TCU got red hot in Arlington and they carried uh, those hot bats to Fayetteville. They go three and zero. they sweep the Fayetteville regional. They just unload on Hagen Smith. 
didn't think that was going to be something that happened. Zach, uh, in the one and no game, Trey Richardson, um, the infielder for TCU, the transfer from Baylor, he entered the game with two homers on the year. He hit two grand slams in the first two innings. He had three homers in the game. He was doing the Jordan shrug going around the bases. I mean, it was just TCU was completely unhinged. The Arkansas crowd was stunned. This seems to happen to Arkansas quite a bit, man. I mean, sometimes they're able to make it out, but like it seems like some red hot team and like some team comes into Fayetteville every single year and plays their A game. Sometimes Arkansas is able to overcome it. Not this time, man. TCU was red hot. They're looking like a team of destiny and they were just too much for Arkansas. Yeah, I Trey Richardson, who transferred from Baylor, was was yeah. just unconscious. Uh two grand slams in the first two innings. He ended up with a third home run later on uh, for 11 RBIs, which tied an NCAA record. Um, you, you, you look at the pitching, you look at the hitting. TCU is, is everything that you thought you saw at the beginning of the year when we were in Arlington to kick off the season, when everyone said, wow, this TCU team could be really, really good. And now you're like, no, no, they are really, really good. I mean, Sloss is or not uh, um that used to be the coach. Um Sarlus, Carlos, yeah, Sarlus. Yeah, he is he's pushing all the right buttons right now. Yeah, no, I, I mean we talk about like Texas baby having a thin pitching staff. Arkansas was on DEFCON one. I mean, it was a it is a good thing, Zach, that this did not go to a game seven because in game six, Arkansas was bringing in guys that had already thrown so many pitches the day before and the day before that. I mean, uh, there was, there was getting to a point where it was getting uncomfortable to watch some of these guys just continue to throw pitches. If it would have gone to a game seven, I do not know what Arkansas would have done on the mound, but uh, it didn't happen. And like you talked about earlier, this set up an Indiana state versus TCU super regional Indiana state, of course, is the national seed. You think they're going to host, it comes out. Indiana state is not going to host. Um, They've got other stuff going on in that area. They don't think they have the facility. They don't think they have the volunteers and the staff to be able to adequately adequately put on a super regional. So they didn't put in a bid, which means TCU is playing at home. I mean, Zach, TCU is TCU is running hot right now. Yeah, I mean, if you're putting favorites on a, a team in the super regionals to make to Omaha, like go go borrow some money and put the house on TCU because wow. What what they've done so far in the last couple of weeks has been ridiculous. And now they get to play at home against an Indiana State team, which, you know, they're high up in the RPI. They're like number nine or eight, I believe. But um yeah, I mean, TCU is gonna be love and life. So it's it's gonna be very, very interesting. Um yeah. and of course that takes us to let's just let's just skip forward to Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh there's only one regional that we have not talked about yet and it will lead into our preview of the super regional that of course was the regional opposite of texas on the bracket the palo alto regional the stanford regional um texas a&m a couple people on this show might have picked them to go to omaha texas a&m starts 2-0 they look like they're in the driver's seat we're starting to think we've got a texas versus texas a&m showdown in the super regional who's going to host we think it would have been texas we are going to say for the rest of time that it would have been Texas because we don't know. And I seemed like it was going that way, but uh, we'll never know because A&M, they blew it. They had the 2-0 start. Stanford sticks it to them twice. They come back, the bats heat up. Um, you know, A&M, they just start dropping fly balls. Um, you know, you've got, you're giving up grand slams. It was a complete meltdown, Zach. The, the NCAA, they tried to line up the matchup in basketball. 
you know, A&M gets rocked by Penn State. They try to line up the matchup in baseball. A&M starts 2-0. They just get rocked by Stanford back-to-back games. I was thinking of that meme. There, there's the meme going around where it's like the guy playing Uno, where it's like uh, you can play Texas in a postseason game or draw 25 cards. A&M, man, they've got the whole deck. I mean, they just got the whole deck in their hands. They're doing anything to avoid it. Um, it was brutal. Uh, so, of course, Stanford is able to get the win behind their bats and some of their bullpen arms. Um, Zach, uh, I mean, you can, I will, of course, give you your chance to roast the Aggies and point out anything that you want to point out before we start to uh, finally preview the Super Regional between Texas and Stanford. Yeah, you, you talk about just the ultimate meltdown, right? We always talk about, listen, what's been good in working for AM recently has been their pitching. None of their starters went more than two innings um, on on Monday night because they played at like eight o'clock at night, central time. Uh, they popped up a ball in the infield. They can't even come up with an infield single. Like they just pop up like just what a accumulation of disaster all just piling on top of it. It was like, you knew that they felt all the pressure, right? When Stanford won the, the first game against them, to stave off elimination and cause an if necessary. It wasn't a game that AM was particularly competitive in. I mean, it was kind of a beatdown. Um, and then you come and follow that up with Monday night. And again, it's like a seven-nothing game or seven to one, sorry. Um, and just yeah, you sh- I should have seen it a mile away that when we're talking Texas AM and Texas that are up 2-0, it's like, no, somehow AM's gonna find a way to screw this up completely and sure enough they all let us down the whole world is finally rooting for AM. the entire state we everyone wants to see just the craziest maddest super regional ever which could have been decided potentially by a streaker that happened in the middle of the season now nah, they've got to throw it all away someone on their message board said at least we didn't have the chance to lose to the sips i mean they were celebrating the fact that they might have cost us a director's cup. I, what what goes through the mind of an A and M person? I don't know, but yeah, Texas is headed west. They're uh, they're trying to cope. They're just uh, they're trying to cling to anything they can cling to. It was it was bad. Uh, you know, I would have loved to see that super regional at the same time. It was it was pretty funny to see uh, the downfall there. Um, Zach, let's talk a little bit about Stanford. I mean, the the. The spark notes, the, the the too long don't read version about the Stanford club is they can mash and they mash in the postseason and they have been mashing in the postseason for a while now. They have a lot of veteran bats in this lineup that have performed really well in the postseason. Um, Zach, Texas has been to Omaha two years in a row. Stanford has been to Omaha two years in a row. One of these teams is going to make it three in a row and one of these teams is going to see their streak come to an end. Um, Zach, what can you tell me about the Stanford team other than the fact that they mash. They have a lot of guys they can hit, and uh, they don't really like to walk that much. <laughs> You're on mute, or I can't hear you. Yeah, they're 42 and 17 on the season. Uh, they went 23 and 7 in Pac-12 play. They're really good at home. No surprise that the Sunken Diamond. They're 24 and 8. Um, it, it's a team that, if you look at common opponents, you know they went three and one against Cal State Fullerton. They, they split a four-game series with Oklahoma. They split a two-game series against Texas Tech. They beat San Jose State in a game. And then they went 2-1 and one against AM. So you look at the common opponents, you're like, okay, well, the only thing that really stands out is that Oklahoma, they went 2-2. Two and two, And then 
Cal State Fullerton, they went three and one instead of Texas going one and two. Um, but you look at the common opponents, you're like, okay, well, they're beatable. You start looking at their numbers offensively, and you're like, this is not the Stanford of old. This is a Stanford that is, you know, as coach, I'll use Coach AM or AM's coach Sloss. He's like, this is an SEC offense. They've hit what 113 home runs on the year. Their OPS is 953. They're hitting 318 batting average. They're, you know, they only walk, or I'm sorry, their slugging percentage is 548. And they're on base is 405. They don't run a lot. They just they like to mash the ball. They're a power team. Yeah, this is not your uh, typical California small ball Cali team, West Coast. I mean, they mash. They they want to put up big innings. They want to hit doubles. They want to hit homers. The park plays pretty small. I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, the ball kind of flies there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, getting into some of the pitching stuff, their ace is their senior lefty, Quinn Matthews. He's a tall, lanky, left-handed pitcher. Uh, 3.65 ERA, 1.23 whip. Big strikeout guy. Huge strikeout guy. 136 strikeouts. 38 walks this year. There was a stretch in the middle of the year where Matthews had six straight games with double digit strikeouts, a lot of 10 strikeout games, a couple of 13 strikeout games. Um, he's a low to mid nineties fastball. Um, it just, he's a lanky guy that fastball kind of explodes on you kind of like a Hagen Smith. Um, and then he's got a really good slider. Uh, it's a tight slider that puts people away. He might mix in a more of a loopy curveball and maybe a little change up, but, uh, you know, he's going to rely on that fastball slider. Um, this is their best pitcher by far. I mean, this is kind of their dude. He threw 114 pitches on Friday in the opener of the regional. He came back in game seven on Monday against Texas A&M, threw 66 pitches out of the bullpen. Um, we should mention this is going to be a Saturday, Sunday, Monday super regional between Stanford and uh, and Texas. Um, I think that's going to help Quinn Matthews quite a bit because he did throw 114 Friday, 66 on Monday. Um, we don't know the exact order yet of the pitching. I think Matthews will probably be good to come back and throw on Saturday. Um, if not, he'll just throw on Sunday, but that definitely helps him with that extra day of rest. And it definitely helps uh, LeBaron Johnson Jr. But um, I want to talk about the junior righty, Joey Dixon. He might be their game two starter. The number two and three starters for Stanford is where you really see quite a bit of a drop off. Um, Joey Dixon, you know, he's consistently allowed three to four runs in about five innings of work. He doesn't go that deep into games. His ERA is five, 1.42 whip, um, only 78 strikeouts, 39 walks. Um, he's a sinker slider guy. He's going to be low 90s with the sinker. He's going to throw a slider off of it. He's going to try to get a lot of ground balls. He's got a pretty long and deliberate arm action. He started game three of the Super Regional last year, did not record it out. He got rocked pretty much right off the bat. They yanked him. They ended up coming back to win, but uh, he did not have success last year. And then a potential uh, game three starter, we don't know if they'll do this, They've been running out the freshman, Matt Scott. This guy's pretty impressive. Like, he's a he's a big dude. He's 6'7", 231, really imposing freshman on the mound. But he's got a 487 ERA, 1.38 whip. Um, he, he's just kind of your prototypical power righty with a ton of talent. You don't always know, you don't always know where it's going. He's got really smooth mechanics. The fastball will jump on you 93, 95 mile an hour. It's got some nice arm side run. He throws a change up to lefties that has some nice run, some nice sink to it. He's got a nice slider with a lot of vertical break. You can see why this guy was like a really highly touted guy in California. He's going to be really good for them going forward. It'll be a draft guy one day, but he hasn't always had it. You can see him yank some fastballs. Um, the change up would just fly out of his hand sometimes and miss up and away to lefties. So, I mean, 
the moral of the story is, is from a starting pitching rotation standpoint, Quinn Matthews, really good number one. After that, going to be a little shaky, and they're going to rely on some key guys in the bullpen. Yeah, and if you look at the bullpen, um, I think the first guy you've got to take a look at is left-handed pitcher Ryan Bruno. Uh, he's pumping 97 off the mound. He's got a plus-plus changeup. Um, but outside of that, you know, you got Drew Dowd. Um, I believe he's a lefty as well, if I remember correctly. You got Prancer. But they have six guys that are sub-5 ERA. Everything after that, and they have one, two, three, four, five. They've got eight guys after that. They're all plus seven ERA. So, I mean, there's a noticeable, noticeable drop-off between their kind of high innings leverage guys and then everyone else, right? So it feels like they don't have a lot of guys that can come in and just be the man. At the same time, this is the Super Regionals. This is when you go become the man. This is when you go show out. And so you, you definitely have to worry about if Texas – can get to the starting pitching what does Stanford do how do they try to preserve that bullpen how do they come back from that right and so I think that's again we talked about in Miami that's the key you get to the starter early you're going to have success because what they're going to roll out there may not necessarily be the end-all be-all yeah I don't I don't think they're going to go that deep into this pitching staff I mean just the super regional format they're going to go with their guys I mean they're going to go with uh Prancer and Bruno and Dowd out of the bullpen, and they're going to try to get what they can out of their starters. But man, I mean, you mentioned Bruno, just a huge lefty, a 97 with a dagger changeup. You look at his stats, man. I mean, he is striking you out, or is he is putting you on base with a walk? He has yeah. pitched 32 and two thirds innings this year, 53 strikeouts in 32 innings, and 31 walks, almost a walk per inning. So, I mean, this guy's all over the map. It's like it's like it's like Randy Johnson vibes, basically, like with less control. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you can keep going. I just want to point that out there about Bruno. Yeah. And you know, the only other thing I was going to add was they have a five, eight, three ERA as a squad. They've got a one, five, six whip as a squad. Those aren't impressive numbers by any means. Right. But no. the talents there at, at their, at their best, they are a national title contender at their worst or maybe every day. They're a pretty inconsistent team. They're going to, you know, they're going to give up some walks. Um, they're going to give up some strikeouts. They're going to give up some hits. It's, it's really just going to depend on how they work and how they come through um, from an offensive standpoint. You know, we talked about their numbers, they're hitting 318 as a team. Uh, you know, you got to start with Tommy Troy, who's hitting 410 on the season. Um, he's a guy that's done it all. He's been there. He's been really, really good in the postseason. Um, in the 2022 run to Omaha, he hit 500. <laughs> and I believe he had five or six home runs, a couple doubles. Like the guy was just a monster. And, um, you know, he's, he's had a monster year. He's got 17 home runs, a slugging percentage of 738, an on-base percentage of 489. Uh, you know, he's, he is a first round type draft pick kind of guy. And, uh, you know, he's definitely that fiery, I'm the leader of this team. And he, he definitely shows it. Um, then you got Alberto Rio. So I believe he plays catcher for them. He was the Pac-12 player of the year. You know, he's hit 18 home runs. He has 71 RBIs and he's on base on a 496 clip. So they like you look all the way through the, the lineup and you've got guys that can absolutely hit. And oh, by the way, we haven't even mentioned 2024 first round potential draft pick Braden Montgomery, who was, you know, the all-American do everything. 
you know, he's hitting 321, but he's got a 1058 OPS with 16 home runs and a 452 on base percentage. So it's a team that gets on base. They don't really run. They're just get on base and batter you. So Texas pitches, uh, they definitely have their work cut out from it. They saw Yo-Yo Morales. Well, now they get to see Troy Rios and Montgomery. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like this, this lineup just seems deeper than the Miami lineup. And I know we talked about like Miami, they've got six guys, the OPS over 900 didn't feel like they had it all clicking. I mean, this Stanford lineup, they have a lot of veteran guys that have got it done during the postseason. That's the number one thing that stands out. Um, When I think about keys to this series, from from a pitching and defensive side for Texas, you got to limit the beginnings. Like you can't have multiple walks. You can't have a couple errors. Stanford wants to live on a huge inning where they can hit multiple doubles, draw some walks, and then hit a big three-run homer or grand slam. If you can hold them to solo homers, give up like one run, maybe two runs here and there, then you're going to stay in the game because the Stanford pitching staff is not going to completely shut down Texas. Um, get to the non-Matthews arms early. Um, you know, Bruno Bruno is going to be tough. So Matthews and Bruno, it could be tough sledding. Everyone else, Texas should be able to hit. So take advantage of those chances when you can. Zach, I uh, I don't know. We're going to get to picks here in a second. I, I feel like Zane Morehouse, I feel like this series and this season is going to come down to Zane Morehouse. I think these teams are very evenly matched. I think they're both going to hit a little bit. I think both teams um, are going to be able to put up runs. Uh, the pitching staff, you know, will keep the game somewhat tight. I think the games are going to be close. I think Texas might have a small lead in the eighth and the ninth inning. And I, I think it's going to come down to Zane Morehouse. So for him, it's just going to be stay out of the middle of the plate with that slider, stay out of the middle of the plate with the fastball. If he's locating, he's able to get out these hitters because, you know, Zane Martin, the stuff is that good. Even those standard hitters are so good. If he is dotting on the corners and mixing in the slider at the right time and putting it in the right spot, he's going to get him out. But if he makes a mistake in the heart of the plate, doesn't really matter how good the slider is. Doesn't really matter if the fastball is 96, 97. If it's over the middle, these guys are going to make him pay. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're going to, we're about to get to picks, but I feel like it's going to come down to say more house in the eighth and the ninth. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the X factor is going to be LeBaron Johnson Jr. Um, And that's easy to say coming off that performance against Miami, but what does he do to replicate that? If you look at the starting line pitching for Texas again, these might be two of the best pitchers that Stanford has seen all year long. If you go look at the Pac-12 stats against all the, you know, the guys that are who they faced, the numbers aren't as good as what Lucas has done. They're not as good as what LBJ's done. So yeah, I, I think Morehouse is going to play a massive role because it will likely be a closer game. It's not going to, I don't, I don't foresee a blowout, but can LeBaron work and can he go deep? Can he, can he get Texas six innings or seven innings? Lucas Gordon, can he get Texas six innings or seven innings? Um, and for, you know, the other guy is Morehouse probably can't give you four innings back-to-back days or three innings back-to-back days. So Charlie Hurley, Travis Daly, they're going to be called upon. I mean, you're just going to have to see them. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it really comes down to the plate. I think Texas could have some, um, some offense, the lefty Quinn Matthews really worries me on that. What I presume is going to be that Saturday night start. So, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. The other one, the last thing I want to talk about with Texas before we get to some picks here, um, if there is a potential game three, there's going to be fans, I think rightfully just kind of wondering how the pitching is going to be managed with Tanner Witt. 
We've seen him struggle um, from time to time. He's, he's had a lot more struggles on the road than he has at home. He was really good in that home start against West Virginia. We've seen him flash signs of like being back old Tanner Witt. You've seen him still struggle to find the release point with the fastball. Um, those hit by pitches against Miami. One was a changeup, one was a curveball. Um, he's still adjusting to the pitch clock, holding on runners, just getting that overall feel back. What, I mean, how do you think this should play out in a potential game three? I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on how much did you have to use Charlie Hurley games one and two? How much did you have to use Travis Staley games one and two? I, I'm of the opinion that you just roll Tanner Witt out there because he's a guy you can, he's a guy that has the upside and has the stuff to get some outs. And it just, you can roll him out there on a short leash. I mean, that's what they did in Miami. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you can send him out there. And if he doesn't have it, you just yank him. That's okay. Um, I just think the upside of him potentially giving you three to four innings or just giving you whatever he can give you, um, that's that's where I would go. I would still run him out there for that game three start and just see what he's got. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot to the home road stuff. I mean, you know, we do need to see him do it on the road because you think about he's been doing this rehab for so long now. And all of that rehab has been at the dish. I mean, where has he been throwing his bullpens? At the dish. Where has he been throwing his live sessions on the mound? At the dish. I mean, you know, he's just, he's still getting reacclimated to pitching on the road, some different mounds, some different environments. That's how I feel. I, I think they'll still roll with him. I think they should still roll with him, but just have him on a short leash and there, there's nothing wrong with that this time of year. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think you can, someone asked me, like, what about bringing him out of the bullpen? I, I just don't think they'll do it. I don't think they will. Where he's at in his rehab process coming off of Tommy John, what's best for him is rolling him out as a starter. And I think that's what Pearson and the team are going to stick to. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, instead of worrying about what does that pitch count look like, I think you you give him the option and say, look, forget about pitch count. Forget about environment. I want you to go give us three innings. If you're able to go fourth, all the better. But if you can get us three innings of maybe one run ball, that's massive because that's now nine outs that you don't have to use the bullpen. So, yeah, I, I, I just think he's been there. I think maybe having had that experience in Miami, he can use that. He can sit there and kind of mentally, okay, I know that I can't get so wrapped up because that first inning against Miami, he looks really good. So, yeah, I, I think you got to roll him out in, in game three if it goes that far. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to see him out of the bullpen. I mean, we know he's he's a guy that's like really good out of the bullpen. He has been really good out of the bullpen in the past. But you think about right now, you know, he comes out and you can kind of see he has it or he doesn't have it. Or when he doesn't have it, he's going to lose it a little bit. And if you think about that, you know, we saw it. If, if he's starting and he comes out and he doesn't have it, you yank him, you're down three nothing. You have a lot of time to recover. If you bring him out of the bullpen in the seventh or eighth inning and he doesn't have it, then you're in trouble. I mean, then you're toast all of a sudden. So I don't, I don't think that makes a lot of sense at this point. I think they should, you know, either start him or you kind of put him on ice, but I think they will start him. All right, Zach, we got to make a pick. Um, before we get to the picks, I just want to say the everyone, this, everyone just needs to calm down with the picks. Everyone needs to relax. This is a show. We're just making picks. No one cares um, about, about the outcome of these picks. These picks do not have an effect on the games. Jesus, they're not real. Everyone needs to lay off. I know that we both picked West Virginia against Texas, and we were wrong. 
uh, you know, I, I picked Texas to win the Big 12 tournament, didn't work out. We both picked Miami to win the regional, didn't work out. Everyone just, just lay off our back. It's fine. I think everyone knows where we stand with Texas. I think everyone knows we generally support the program. Um, we are just picking what we think is going to happen. Um, you know, it's it's not a jinx. You know, I'm, I'm going to pick who I actually think is going to win. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to jinx or because I believe in that. It's not, everyone just needs to relax. That's my ramble. Uh, with that being said, we have not written down. We're going to surprise each other with our picks. Um, Zach, you want to go first? You want me to lead it off here? Uh, who are you picking to win this thing? And do you have any comments on my uh, my State of the Union there? Yeah, I'll go first. I'm picking Stanford. I'm the anti-jinx. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, you know, oh, yeah. realistically, for me, that Louisiana game could have gone either way, except for two amazing defensive performances and an outstanding start by Lucas. Are, am I going to see LBJ go out and just shove for nine innings again? Probably not. And so if I think Texas comes back to earth a little bit, I just think Stanford's a little bit better team overall. So I, I have Stanford advancing. I have been wrong many times. Uh, of course, when I pick against Texas, I am glad to be wrong. But at the end of the day, my pick has no impact on the outcome of this series. I am simply going to decide what I think is going to happen and do not blame me either way. Don't call me a hater. Don't call me um, a jinx. I had a lot of trouble with this one because I think these games are going to be very, very tight and it's going to come down to it. And I am going to pick Texas because I, I do not really trust the Stanford bullpen. I know Bruno is electric. He walks almost a batter per inning. I think Texas has guys that can put solid at-bats against him. I think Texas can score some runs consistently against the non-Quinn Matthews guys. I think Gordon can match up with Quinn Matthew, with, uh, with Matthews. I think LBJ is going to be good once again. I like the extra day of rest there. I think these games are going to be tight, and uh, I will, I'll pick the Longhorns. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a really good series. I do think it's going to be a good series. I think there's there's areas in the pitching staff that Texas can exploit. Um, yeah. You know, Stanford's defense is, what, 972? I think, you know, they can get it going. One of the concerns for me is still, I think Powell is still feeling that effects of that back. Um, he didn't really have the best regional. EK really didn't have the best offensive regional. So, you know, got to get these guys going but yeah I, I think it could be a really really entertaining regional in fact it's one of the regionals i'm looking for the most outside of just being a texas fan i mean just as a absolutely yeah baseball, yeah these are, these are two teams that have been back-to-back -back years to the cultural series and they're the only two that have done that right right now and so it, you just have really good programs going up against each other that have a lot of history as well all right, there it is, Zach. Let's go rapid fire through the rest of the Super Regionals. Um, Winston-Salem, we have number one, Wake Forest, hosting number 16, Alabama. Zach, we both had Wake Forest in the College World Series. I am not changing my mind. I would be very surprised if Wake Forest loses to Alabama. Nah, Deeks are going to roll. All righty, Baton Rouge, uh, we both had LSU in the College World Series. They are hosting Kentucky. Kentucky beat them um, in a series uh, at LSU earlier in the year. I think they might have even swept them. I am going to stick with LSU. I think this is going to be a really fun and close three-game series. I will take the LSU bats in game three. Kentucky didn't sweep them, but they did give them a really, really good series. Uh, yeah. I'm still going with LSU. Skeens is on a freaking roll. 
Thatcher Hurd is pitching well for them right now. Uh, I think there's just going to be too much offense in the down at the box. Hattiesburg, Southern Miss is hosting Tennessee after Tennessee knocked out Clemson. I had Tennessee in the College World Series. Um, Zach had Clemson in the College World Series. I am going to stick with Tennessee. I think it's going to be really close. Chase Dolander still doesn't completely look 100%, but I'm just going to go with that uh, Tennessee pitching staff and stick with my original prediction. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with Tennessee, but here's here's the entire linchpin is Friday night. I'm sorry, yeah. Saturday night. If if Tanner Hall wins for Southern Miss on Saturday night, all bets are off. I, th- I think Southern Miss will win it. If Tanner Hall loses his start on Saturday, Tennessee's going to run away with it. All right, we got Gainesville. This is another one I'm super excited about. Number two, Florida hosting South Carolina. Florida can mash. South Carolina can mash. Um, they both have arms on the mound. I think this is going to be a really close, probably three-game series. I really liked what I saw from the Florida pitchers. They were able to kind of right the ship, and uh, they've got a lot of guys they can kind of turn to. Um, I'm going to go with Florida because maybe home field, but I, I think this is going to be a really good series. I'm going with Florida. Yeah, this is probably the series I'm most looking forward to outside of Texas-Stanford. Yeah, uh, South Carolina did sweep Florida early in the year, and they did so in impressive fashion. I think South Carolina is probably the better team overall, but it's at Gainesville. Florida's on a mission. I'm actually going to change my – I'm going South Carolina because nice. Florida always fails at their home <laughs> regional, it feels like. I don't trust Kevin Sullivan. I'm going South Carolina. Screw there what I wrote is. down. <laughs> All right, Charlottesville, we have uh, Virginia hosting Duke, a little ACC matchup. We both had Virginia in the College World Series before the tournament. I am going to stick with Virginia. I think this is probably going to be a close series, though. Yeah, their, their offense and pitching staff have bounced back from a couple series losses early in the year, including one to Duke. Uh, I, they're rolling right now. I don't see Duke stopping them. All right, uh, just the absolute chaos, uh, Super Regional potentially. Uh, Eugene. Did not think Oregon would be hosting a Super Regional, but here we are, Zach. Oregon hosting Oral Roberts. This is going to be chaos. Um, Oral Roberts is really good as a four seed. Oregon knocked uh, that won the Vanderbilt Regional. I think this is going three. I think we're going to see a lot of runs. Give me Oral Roberts, man. We haven't seen a four seed in the College World Series in a long time. I think Oral Roberts gets the College World Series as a four seed, and uh, they are able to go to Oregon and win this thing. Yeah, so Oral Roberts is on a 21-game win streak. Yep. They beat much better teams in Oregon. Um, you know, Friday night's, again, going to be the key for me. Friday night – or, uh, yeah, the Friday night is when they start. Uh, the Oregon starter is really, really good. But uh, I think just Oral Roberts is too hot. They're, we talked about 38-game hit streak for D.C. I believe their, their like, main guy is on, like, a 47-game hit streak, which is just insane. So – uh, yeah, give me Oral Roberts. The heck with the Ducks. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Fort Worth, TCU, like we talked about earlier, actually hosting the number 14, Indiana State. Indiana State, man, great story, great season, sick RPI. Congrats on the RPI. Yeah, I'm not picking against the Frogs. I am not picking against the Frogs right now. No, the Hypno Toad is going to show up and eat some sycamores. So, yeah, the, the trees are getting sawed off down in, up in I guess, up in Fort Worth. There you have it, Zach. We, uh, we covered a lot of ground here. We had talked about a lot of college baseball teams. Um, it's, it's time to get out of here. Everyone knows the drill. Um, please like the video, subscribe to the channel, check us out on Orange Bloods. We've got a bunch of content going on orangebloods.com. Follow us on Twitter at Aaron Little OB at Zach at the Dish. We'll be talking on Twitter later tonight. Zach, uh, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? 
have fun out in California and let's saw down some, uh, some trees. All righty. There you go. We'll see everyone next week.